OTB GAA. I think it has become a little bit sanitized. You need somebody to bring a bit of color and wit and enthusiasm. Subscribe to the OTB GAA podcast feed wherever you get your podcasts. Monday Night Rugby on Off The Ball. With Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish rugby team. We all belong to the team of us. Welcome along, Monday Night Rugby, and uh, we have reached the end of the European rugby season and it marks a continuation of trends on several fronts. The rise and rise and rise of Ronan O'Gara uh, continues apace and then Leinster once again beaten when it counts after waltzing through the competition in style across the rest of the season. This was an epic final, an epic occasion Leinster 26, La Rochelle 27. To discuss all, we're joined in studio by Jerry Thornley of the Irish Times. You're very welcome, Jerry. Thank you, Joe. And Matt Williams with us again. You two guys obviously previewed the uh, final for us. Matty, good to have you with us. Hey, Joe. How are you, mate? Jerry, good to see you. We are very well. So much to discuss. I mean, uh, <laughs> we could uh, take three shows over and we'll be leaving um, interesting bits of the conversation out. Uh, why don't we pick our way through the game maybe as, as, as a vehicle to get the ball rolling? So, for instance, um, I mean, you can compartmentalise this game rather easily. Mm-hmm. Uh, three tries in 12 minutes. Leinster 17-0 up. The first try on 41 seconds. Dan Sheehan, the line out, the Conan catch. I mean, just uh, O'Gara said afterwards he knew Leinster would have one of those moments and uh, it happened after 41 seconds. Jimmy O'Brien after a great Gibson Park with a second try. Kerr Barlow sin-binned Sheehan like a winger I mean he's the best uh, winger come hooker in uh, World Rugby I think scored a try as well at that stage Jerry, I was honestly saying to myself I was at the game and I was thinking oh I'd, I'd like some kind of a contest <laughs> well you said you got your wish there um. but that um, tidal wave yeah was awesome yeah 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 I must admit I thought Lens were going to go on and win at that point I had no doubts I thought yeah this is it I thought a sense there was a huge performance coming from them and you know whatever criticism there might be of Leinster not sealing the deal you have to say that that start was the product of brilliant analysis coaching uh, team leadership amongst the group choice of starter plays tactics greater line speed in defence much 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 improved in previous games even the second try you mentioned, as as with the starter play for the try, the way they set up the fake lo- running lines in midfield to create the space and the angle for James Lowe to execute that 50-22 and how brilliantly it was executed. Uh, Ross Burns' beautiful pass for Jimmy O'Brien, Jameson Gibson Park. It was all... And then the line speed. In, so even when Dante the, the scored his try, the way Leinster came back with that line speed and chop tackling and getting over the ball and winning penalties and Ross Byrne nudging a couple of penalties he just, uh, to make it 23-7, you, you still felt that Leinster were absolutely in the driving seat here. And yeah, in, in that first section of the game, they were outstanding. Brilliantly prepared, brilliantly executed. The best start they'll ever make to a final, probably. And of course, that's what makes the rest of what unfolded even more disappointing because when are they ever going to make a start like that in a final at home in the Aviva ever again? But I would say that, I just look back at it again, that's Satenny try just before the break. In the immediate aftermath of James Ryan, that was a, the, the worst stroke of luck that befell Leinster all day was losing James Ryan because he was having a stupendous game. The game of the season, in the season of his life, 
and it actually came as a result of him driving back Nick Skelton of all people and then his head just going through on the other side and getting clipped by a knee on the head and having to go off and Leinster lost a lot with him including you know the potential to be a tactical replacement bringing on Jenkins with 20-25 minutes to go alongside Ryan how might the Maul have defended in the second half how might the line out have defended better in the second half how might Leinster have been able to maintain their work on the collisions on either side the ball better with Ryan there um, but the, looking at that try just before half time the you even felt with that brilliant line speed in the first 25, 30, 35 minutes that, well, they can't sustain this for 80 minutes, but hopefully they'll be so out of sight that it won't matter. But when Satani scored that try, in the build-up to it, the defence lost a lot of its line speed suddenly and got a little ragged in defence, both for the break when Dunan was brought into the line and then, of course, when Skelton twice, either side of Antonio, take out two, three men. <laughs> By a process of elimination, you're going to get space further out and that just looked very ominous and for all that Leinster played so well to only be nine points ahead and nine points is just so little in the modern game and then once the second half started it was like it was like slow grim unrelenting torture they just, the inevitability of the outcome yes Matt I have to say I was disappointed I didn't get my championship minutes text from you at half time I thought well there must be uh, something up with his phone but uh, I, I, you crossed my mind and O'Gara said afterwards that uh, one of the themes he had at halftime was to remind the dressing room that it was a similar deficit at halftime in Marseille so we're in great shape here fellas yeah yeah Joey I'm not joking I saw it and I thought of you (laughs) I thought but I can't do it again you're just straight I'll lose it all but I was really worried at that try Uh, there's one other aspect I'll bring you back to another Jerry summary was superb Uh, this, this is the game this is the modern game when you take a shot at conversion, it doesn't change anything in the game. So what do I mean by that? Whether the points go, whether the ball goes through the post or misses, it's restarted halfway. Nothing else in the game has changed. Penalty goal is different because if you if you kick it, the start's halfway. If you miss it, it's, there's a, a number of variations. Usually it's a 22. So that changed the game. Ross Burner felt you know two really hard conversions from the centimeters from the sideline. That hits the upright. If that is five centimetres to the right, Leinster win that game. Leinster are champions. Like it is, that's how close that was. I was really uncomfortable that that even though they were so brilliant and, and as wonderful as Jerry brilliantly described, including that first line-out, which was the reenactment of the, of the try in the 2011 World Cup by New Zealand, Absolutely, that's where that's that play. It was just played again brilliantly. It wasn't enough. And as soon as uh, uh, Sutini scored that try, as you say, Joe, in the championship minutes, those minutes just before and just after halftime have this incredible effect on the, on the momentum of games. I, I was really concerned. Yes, and I, I agree. I was I was sick for the remainder of that that game. The only other thing you've got to give. Lara Shaw, great credit to him. It was around the time when Will Skelton was down for that extended time. They slowed the game down to a snail's pace. And that's exactly what they wanted. It allowed their big boys to get breath. You know, they didn't pass the ball. They they, they, they did some brilliant play. We've got to give Lara Shaw. They were coming back on the short side to attack Jamison Gibson Park in the defensive line. So after a set play, Leinster put their smallest player, Jamison Gibson Park, in the line on the wing. And you think time and time again, great tactics from Ronan. Lara Shaw came to the centre and came back, trying to get a Jamison Gibson Park, which they did often. 
But once they got to that grinding part of the game, they slowed it down brilliantly, they took their injuries, they sucked in their breath, and they were dynamic. And I agree with Jerry again. The tactics of with, with Ryan off the field, the line-out tactics and the kicking game, it has to be said, of Jamison Gibson Park and James Lowe was 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 just diabolical. And and it, it really just fed into the the monster that is Lara Shell. Yeah. There was a, a period in the first half as well where Leinster tackling was off the charts. Henshaw was making big yeah. hits. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ringrose got off the line mm-hmm. on a couple of memorable occasions. And then... And it's Josh, it's, I was, too. Yeah, I was yeah. thinking of our conversation about how good La Rochelle are at the breakdown. Some of the Leinster clearouts, it was like they had spent two weeks mm-hmm. talking breakdown, breakdown, mm-hmm. breakdown. And I th- there were a couple of moments where they really won those exchanges. And I mm-hmm. thought this is almost a reversal of Marseille. Mm-hmm. And then, Matt, you had talked about the kicking game and the importance of it in our preview on Wednesday. And low kicks the 50-22. And you think this is all going to plan. Um, you said something interesting there, Jerry that you thought Leinster um, looked dead in their feet. I thought so too. And like pretty early in the second half. And I'm I, trying to work out like, was it maybe a consequence of this massive adrenaline dump that had happened early? Like, I mean, I can't overstate the atmosphere in that stadium those first 15 minutes. And I mean, like even the Leinster players, like they, they, they all of them were just up in such a big way mm-hmm. and there must be a bit of flatness that happens after that or maybe I thought it's a consequence of fighting such a big team but I vividly remember around the 50th uh, minute early enough in the second half and it's obvious La Rochelle are going to be spending some time in the Leinster half and it, it's it's already getting uh, tough and Gary Ringrose um, up off the deck and started shouting around to everybody around him breathe breathe you know he's like he's like standing like breathe and it it was like somebody screaming calm down mm-hmm. and I thought well this is very different breathing to what we saw in Murrayfield and the Irish team yeah very yeah. different yeah very and different I, yeah they, they knew I think even at that stage they Leinster <laughs> ahead in the scoreboard I thought already there was an anxiety and a panic almost mm-hmm. yeah and I think I didn't. I wouldn't say they were dead in their feet, but they, I thought they wilted in that term, in that use of line speed and their tactical execution in the build-up to the try by Suteni, simply because it was almost inevitable. You couldn't maintain that almost manically crazed line speed they employed from the start, which worked very well and discommoded them along with the quick tap by James Gibson Park, was something we haven't seen from him a lot lately. So, but I just thought, yeah, you could be right. It could have been the whole emotion of the occasion, investing so much emotion and energy in that first half performance. But also, as Matt touched upon there, that the kicking, like there were five poor kicking exits, you know, like James Lowe and Gibson Park had superb first halves and they're really world class players. But Lowe just puts one out in the full. Gibson Park pulls one out of the full of his ball again. Rowe, I think James Lowe, because he put the first one out in the full, really goes the second one and then mistimes it. I think it contributed to the second one. And then Gibson Park, another slice. And three of the five kicks resulted in attacking La Rochelle lineouts just inside or just outside the 22. And by that stage, their lineout mob was running like a lawnmower over the Leinster pack. Um, so, and the other thing, going back to your point as well, I'm sure Matt was going to raise this, like, again, it wasn't 240 plus tackles like last year's final or like Munster had done the week before. It was just a mere 183. But that was again 73 tackles by La Rochelle. If, if like, like like Rochelle have done the last two, three times now, they just make Leinster, starve them of possession, make them tackle, tackle, tackle. And it's a 
you're making 183 tackles against La Rochelle, I'd venture that it's a different 183 tackles than you're making against most other teams, particularly in the Champions Cup, because so many of them are against people like Will Skelton and you know it, Antonio and stuff like it has to. And yet, bearing all that in mind, some of the defending and was Herculean and it was outstanding defending and brilliant turnovers, Dan Sheehan and others. But it kept getting undone by these five poor kicks and a couple of other decisions, you know what I mean? I mean, you talked about the work of the breakdown. I thought Caelan Doris was unlucky to get paying for both the penalties against him, particularly the last one, the faithful one. I thought that was a really harsh call. But be that as it may, um, it was just a remorseless tide of La Rochelle attacks as the, the mall was brilliant, 55 metres. Like, it seemed like more. <laughs> you know, they just it kept trundling forward. And I think that's the disappointing thing because we all thought that with the signing of Jason Jenkins and or the emer- emergence of Joe McCarthy, that these kind of trundling, lo- dominant malls against Leinster were a thing of the past. And um, yeah. it just, it just, it followed such a dog-eared script, Joe. We, I'm sure we'll come on to this, but like, in the second halves of the, t- of the last three finals and semi-final they played against La Rochelle, they've been ahead or level at half-time in all of them but have been comfortably outscored in the second. I did the maths on it. They've only scored one try in those four second halves. Uh, they've only scored 22 points, but they've conceded 57. So it's been a bit of a recurring thief. They're just trying to absorb this power game and just grinding them down. Yes. Uh, there was a period, Matt, where uh, Skelton carries, Dante carries, Skelton carries, <laughs> Dante carries. There's not much you're able to do about it. And, and Jerry mentioned them all as well. And, and Leinster did look just beaten up physically. We've talked so much about the Irish team's fitness and how they look fitter than most sides that may well have a lot to do with how dominant they are against a lot of teams because you know no human can take what La Rochelle uh, throw at you and not feel tired Yeah it's an interesting one Joe isn't it Um, like people kept saying to me how can you keep saying that Leicester could lose to La Rochelle when when they're basically the Irish team and I, I, I just kept saying to people La Rochelle play a style of tactic that really upsets Leinster. And if France take on La Rochelle's tactics, it'll upset Ireland. If you think back to that great game, the second game in the Six Nations, which was a fabulous game of rugby, France just went toe-to-toe. France didn't play for their strength. They just went toe-to-toe with Ireland, Ireland beat them. If La Rochelle had played a really open, let's play airy-fairy rugby, bar-bar rugby, they would have lost that. They played to their strength, as you said, skeleton and Dante, skeleton and Dante. But it was still just just millimetres. And, and I, I, I know they look tired. Why wouldn't you be? But they were just off in their tactics. So, for example, in the line they kept offering La Rochelle the front of the line mm-hmm. So the way they defended, they offered it to them. And the theory was, I can, I can, and it was a good theory, Skelton will jump. That means he's, his backside's facing you so he can't push. That takes him out of the mall and we will get there and defend the mall. But it just didn't work. It was a theory that didn't work. And then right at the end, I'm saying, come on, contest, go for it. Jump, out jump, Skelton, out jump. Take him on. Take him on. And we didn't. And why? James Ryan's not there. So who's calling the line out? They, they, didn't, they didn't have that ability to override. And, and, and the, the other side of that that is the negative, Joe, like, and I'm not saying you're wrong, but it tells you how much guts and courage and how much they're fighting. When Gary Ringrose is tackled and spills the ball in that, last 90 seconds or, or 120 seconds. If he passes that ball, he has got Nagatai and O'Brien outside. Now, I, I, I can't guarantee this, but I think Hugo Kerner's there as well. We, I can't find him on the, on the still camera shot. Lara Schell have have one player, which was um, uh, Raymond Rule, 
between the first upright, that's the left-hand upright, and the right-hand sideline. So if Gary gets that pass, Leinster have to basically drop the ball to not score. And they had done that through multiple phases, really great work, really courageous stuff. They could have, and it was so close to that. But, but, and this is what I'm saying, the two best teams made the final of Europe. I, I'll come back to your point, Joe. I don't believe the URC and the way all the other teams in the Heineken Cup bring out their worst teams against Leinster. Leinster don't get the chance to face that pressure day in, day out. Lara Shell do. Yeah. Lara Shell, not, not every week. They dominate some weeks, and obviously Ronan rotates his, his uh, squad, and, they've done, and Ronan's done a brilliant. None, none of this is a criticism of Ronan. It's only praise and, and admiration for Ronan and Lara Shell. But, but Leinster don't. Now, they do during the Six Nations. You think of that Leinster team during the Six Nations. They played back-to-back games a really bit. They've hardly played, a lot of them as a team, have hardly played that much rugby since the end of the Six Nations. I don't think that helps them at all. No, I agree. And, and it comes out, you, you can go toe-to-toe <laughs> with the weaker teams, but when you come up against a great team like Lara Shaw that, that attacks your strengths and plays in a way that you don't like, you've got to have to be really, really perfect in every area. And they, they were. They got a few injuries. They lost Furlong as well. They lost Henshaw, who'd been absolutely brilliant. yeah. At, yeah, absolutely outstanding. Their, ki- their exit kicking game was poor, and poor old, you know, Ross Byrne hits the uprights. You know, uh, <laughs> and you can't, you just can't do that. You've got to get, you've got to have the gods on your side, and 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 that's not taking anything away from Lara Shell. By the sounds of it, they lost the argument at half time as well because they didn't get any favours from the referee in the yeah. second half. <laughs> but but you know, they just didn't get that part right. And, and you, you, you're right, Joe. Was it fatigue? Well, you've got to be fatigued at some stage in that game. Both sides were, because I think Lara Shaw were out in their feet on about 25-minute mark. They looked stuffed as well. But you knew Lara Shaw were coming back, so you've got to weather that storm. A great team like Lara Shaw aren't just going to get beaten by 50. The weaker teams around Europe will, as we've seen, but not a team coached by Agara and not a team with the pride that Lara Shaw have. They were always coming back. Could I just say one last, let's be devil's advocate in one thing here. It's like you watch so many team sports and if a team is defending a lead and then suddenly the lead is erased, isn't it amazing how they suddenly start attacking again? And the other team that have gone in front now start defending a lead. You see it all the time. So for a large, big chunk, pretty all of that second half, Leinster are defending a one-score lead. And it, yeah. it's got to affect your mentality and how you're thinking about the game, yeah. particularly just when you can't get down the pitch. And the one time you do, Jimmy O'Brien is... Com- Paying for contesting one in the air, so they just it's and then the five poor exit kicks and so forth, and it just it, this wave coming at you, and you're defending a six point lead. Then you go behind, and they suddenly did have the fitness and the energy to go and camp themselves deep inside the La Rochelle 22. And it's no blame to Michael Alatoya. Feel some sympathy for him. He's having a tough time. The scrums. He's trying to maintain this attack. as Leinster's chance to atone for last year. It's pretty much the same team as last year. They want to get over the line. And you, he goes in and he goes in with no arms. He goes off his feet and it's clear red, no question. But if he doesn't, if he doesn't do that, despite Gary Ringrose having the ball, perhaps illegally ripped by a hand on the deck, which is the way it looked to me, they still have two minutes left off the scrum close to the line and if they engineer a penalty or try or drop goal from that point then we hail their fitness levels for coming through and surviving the battering and finding a way to win and then they have their fifth star and a lot of this discussion is very different like as Matt says totally different. Huh? 
Sorry, Jerry, totally different. I agree with you. Yeah, yeah. that's a very Sorry, convincing mate. point on the psychology more than the fitness, to be fair. Yeah. Matt, to circle back to a point you made there about skeleton in the lineouts, that's super interesting because a lot of us looked at the three lineouts at that crucial stage where it just looked like Leinster weren't reacting to the very obvious fact that Skelton was going to uh, take the ball and you, you know so are these guys too wedded to a system And the, but your logic or their logic the theory that is that well if Skelton takes it and has his ass to the try line you don't have Will Skelton pushing, pushing. Yeah. it makes a lot of sense yeah. in theory but are you also saying that at the juncture of the game we're talking about where he took the three in a row that that was maybe the time to contest and for Leinster to gamble a bit more. Yeah, hundred uh, percent. Because you, you will scale not, you know, it's hundred fifty kilos, so he's not a great jumper. He's usually a lifter, uh, and if you twist that on a head, Leinster were throwing where Skelton was because they know he's not in defence. They won't get Skelton up, right? So if you watch all the length, or not all, every single one, I can't guarantee it, but a majority of the Leinster throws on their ball was to where Skelton was. So Skelton, but Skelton was brilliant at collapsing them all, so they were mauling on Skelton trying to take him out of the play. On their ball, they were offering Skelton the front. And they, the, the Larisha guys don't get Skelton up at full tilt like old, like the uh, ball would do. You know, they're not great lifters on, on a 150-kilogram second row. So I felt he was there to be poached. And I, I would have, that last one, I was actually screaming, come boys, contest, contest, contest. Go for it. Get in front of him. And go for it. Now they didn't. They had a, a theory, and I, I respect that. But it became clear in those last three or four malls that they weren't defending the mall well. They had to do something a little bit different. And in the end, uh, I thought Piper didn't get his call exactly right with Ronan Kelleher, but no. it, it still cost them the match. Yeah. Yeah, and the one before against Kelleher, I looked at it several times over. It's called in by Christopher Ridley, Christopher Ridley, and right and. Sklabby just seems to fall to no fault of Gallagher's is just pushing but anyway um, be that as it may I think what Matt is saying is not just being wise after the event a lot of people would have been watching at the time and to degree something you know McBride and the coaches could have sent down messages as well so it's not just we'll never know what might have happened if James Ryan had been there but I don't think that what Matt's just saying there is being wise after the event I think in their own analysis of the second half they'll probably come to the same conclusion Mm -hmm. the other post-match stuff is scoreboard related. Oh, why didn't they vary from their kicking strategy and try and run their way out? Because very often, once or twice, maybe they could have set up a better kicking exit strategy. But for the most part, they were very kickable punts downfield that they just didn't execute right. It was more the execution than the tactics. So, And it felt at the time like it was always the right thing to do. They just didn't execute it. And then the other big one, of course, is there's been a lot of debate about whether Ross Byrne should have taken a shot at goal with whatever, seven or eight minutes, five or six minutes left after the Dante yellow card. Again, I think this has been wise after the event. You've got to trust your goal kicker. I mean, it's not just a question of putting the ball in the tee. He knows the Viva Stadium as well as any other ground in the world. He knows how the wind operates. He threw the grass in the air. I think if Ross Byrne thought that was a very capable penalty, he would definitely have got it. And then if he'd come up short and Leinster never got the ball back, he would have been told he shouldn't have gone for glory. He should have gone for the line. My sense in the stadium... Yeah is that the wind the was not helping him. No, it definitely wasn't. And it was it was at yes. his limit on a calm day and it Absolutely. was more, more of a wind than you might think and my instinct when it was given was no, he, no. W- he just wouldn't make yeah. that. However, yeah. however, when it comes to the drop goal situation, he was never available for a drop goal. Mm. Yeah. He yeah. was never, like, 
I was watching him mm-hmm. during that exchange. He didn't make himself available in the pocket as an option, even if it's not the designated plan. But should the you know what hit the fan, I'm a good plan B and I'm ready and give it to me because we're only 20 metres from the yeah. goal. Uh, that for me, I can't see the explanation unless there's a theory I'm missing there, Matt, as well. But for me, that's that's one that will haunt them, no? Yeah, I, I agree with you totally, Joe. There's a video, a little clip going around Brady Igo, who we all know worked for Leinster in Scotland, a great uh, analyst of the game, has got a clip going around of the Gary Ringrose situation with the overlap and also three rucks, there might be two rucks, where it is absolutely on the black dot, under 20 metres out, and there's no one in the pocket to take the drop. And they should have been, and they should have looked at that, and it should have been done, especially when you think what Munster did, you know, the week before. It was, it was on. It was definitely on. And even at the time when we're doing all, the Leicester are doing all the pick and goes just before uh, Michael Alaltoa gets gets carded, they had a four man overlap. They just, I don't know, just pass. Don't pick and go. Just pass, pass. We can, you know, you'll score the try. There was. Those last few minutes will will haunt them. Ross Byrne shouldn't have taken the shot at goal. It was a right decision. I, I agree with you throwing the grass up in the air. But we've also got to remember the, the design of the stadium. He's kicking to that end where that's it's right. low. Yeah. So, the, so the wind is coming in. Mm. If that's another stadium in the world where all the walls are the same height, like Stade de France or Twickenham, he takes that shot because it's protected. But the wind coming over the top from that distance... Would would have been a, a difficulty, and and then I thought Leicester were really brave in what they did in the next few minutes. But gee, we're sitting here picking them apart. Those poor guys, like this this that that result, that game, that that's going to live with them for the rest of their lives. You know, that's that's as tough as I've ever seen it. Yeah, Can it's I... tougher than last year because oh, yeah. they, they, were, they deserve to win. They, they should not. I shouldn't say they deserve to win. It was Lara Shaw magnificent. Mm-hmm. I didn't mean that. I meant they'd done enough. Where you think. They've got a great opportunity to win this. And they've been the best side in the competition throughout the pool yeah. stages and all yeah. the way up to the knockout yeah. stages, even up to semi-finals yeah. and or final for two seasons in yeah. a row. Yeah. And yeah. they've given us some great rugby along the way. But like you say, they don't face challenges like La Rochelle gave them. And they don't even get them in the URC because they never played the South African sides when they're fully loaded. And when they go down to South Africa, they yeah. usually send the C team. Do we have to re-examine yeah. this business now of them being the best competition? Or is it just a case that actually they can beat the lesser lights with the most flourish and the most razzmatazz? But La Rochelle are watching from far saying, I mean, that's not worth much. When it, when it comes down to brass tacks, you can do it with style and you can play brilliant rugby when you're having it your way. But that mightn't necessarily mean you're the best team in the competition, that you might be the most eye-catching. Yep, yep. Well, they're, secondly, they're certainly by some distance the second best team of the competition for two years in a row. Yeah. I hear you. I'm, I'm and, and being like, you know, touch critical oh, there and snipey, but I yeah. think we have to examine this Leinster era now in that manner, you know? Like, this is not good. No, of course not good. And, and it's ridiculous to think that they've just been involved in the URC game of the season and the Champions Cup game of the season and maybe the greatest final of all time on consecutive weekends and they've lost by the combined total of three points and their season is a failure. <laughs> it's like, but that's sport, I suppose, yeah. at the elite end, that's sport and they've come up short and they've been overpowered, particularly by La Rochelle and in the Saracens games they were a little bit overpowered and particularly in the quarterfinal of Viva Stadium behind closed doors, they're scrum at major issues that day as well and they're going to need to have a good hard look yeah. at themselves. There's beaten no by, doubt about it. Beaten by a point, but let's flip that and say 17 
point head start yeah. at home in For front sure. of your fans yeah. beaten by 18 yeah you're never going to have a scenario anything remotely like that ever again uh, that's for sure and they've come up short and they need to have a good hard look at themselves and where they went wrong at the weekend or where they've gone wrong generally you think back to the four Heineken Cups they won and they were with uh, Nathan Hines Brad Thorne and Scott Fardy Rocky Elsom in there Rocky well. Elsom as well like multi-capped international frontline quality test players mm. they're going to have to definitely I think like I think that's a little bit of a that's a missing part Matt would you agree? Yeah I, I do I'd spin both of you back a little bit, uh, uh, just to, to put this in perspective. Where are the Welsh, Scottish, Italian, and um, or other Irish teams? There may never, ever in the history of the tournament be teams from those countries that win this tournament again because it's so stacked in favour of the French and English clubs, right? Because they have to have predominantly local born, ta- uh, locally produced talent. Leinster doing what they're doing are amazing, mm-hmm. and we we should ju- we should recognise that. Mm-hmm. We should recognise that. Where are the rest of the Irish and Welsh and Scottish? They're not within. They're, they're not doing. Look what happened to Glasgow against Toulon. The Toulon are struggling to make the top six in the top fourteen. And this look again. La Rochelle are going to go really close to the double. I actually think they will, mm-hmm. because the, the way the draw is this last year it didn't favour the double. This year it does. They can arrest their boys this week. They can lose this week, still make it. They get a week off the next week. Everyone sobers up. They get two weeks preparation, and they dodge to lose to the final. This is a great La Rochelle side. They have South Africans in the, on the wings. They have an Australian in the second row and an outside centre. They have a New Zealander at, at Scrum Hub and a New Zealand-born player they've, they've developed in at, at a tight end prop and a Fijian at, at, at uh, Flanker. Flanker. They also have other South Africans in that. Side. And they've been an, 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 an insignificant Australian in the second row. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and then they, then they bring in some, some international French players who aren't local products. They are Frenchmen. And this is a side that is is a multi, multi-million dollar, brilliant resource side, brilliantly coached. And I'm not criticising that. I, 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 I love watching them. I watch them every weekend. Send Rana a text and he doesn't reply to me because he's still cranky with me. But I, I, I enjoy that. But Leinster are different. And they may never, they may never win this tournament. They, they might, they might keep failing. But it's not, it's not apples and apples the way the tournament is structured and the way Irish rugby is structured. Because Irish rugby is structured to serve the national team, and long may it remain so. Okay, French can I ask you something, Matt? Though, on the basis, to accepting everything you say, and they do a magnificent job mm-hmm. with a largely homegrown yeah. squad, which nobody else in the in the URC is doing, and certainly not none of the Celtic yeah. teams are doing, and even the English teams are falling off the pace as well. Yeah, but 100%. that means that when you are Leinster and you you know you're the number one side in the URC, or certainly in in the European section of the URC, when you import as they've done in the past, they've gone high end. Yes, I oh, know. I'm agreeing with you, Jerry. I'm agree- I'm not disagreeing. I'm not disagreeing with your point about yeah, okay. the quality of the past players yeah. and what they did. Not not at all, mate. I, I'm I'm supporting that. He and I, the question I was going to say. Would that result be different if Will Skelton was packing into the into the length of second round? Well, possibly not. At the same time, we have to acknowledge the fact that uh, the number one ranked international side in the world, basically 12, 13 of those players are in a blue jersey and a Leinster jersey and they're well rested and they're well looked after. So, you know, we should expect big things of them. Um, oh, and, and you know. Joe, but I don't, think, I don't think we can say they haven't delivered big things. Yeah. That's the dilemma we're in. But do you, but do you do not... I take the point. Do you not class, though, uh, to lose these finals in this manner since 2019 as underachievement? Uh, 
as soon as the final whistle went, Joe, I knew we were going to have this conversation. I'm trying to think, I do not want to be Defender-in-Chief of Leinster. I don't want that title, although it seems to have fallen to me. Yeah. But I, I, my heart was breaking for that team because, you know, I, more than others, know, you, you know, when you lose those games, it is, you, you're ill. You, you are mm-hmm. physically, physically sick in the stomach. And that pain does not go away for a long time. And can, after the second one, can, and I kept saying, can they lift next year? Is this the end of it? That, that might be that devastating. It might be the end. Now, I hope it's not. But of course, that, you know, you know he, here's what I'm trying to measure out to you. Mm. Leo Cullen's dad goes, uh, son goes to school and said, my dad uh, coached, you know, won a European Cup and got the four other finals. Is someone going to say, gee, your dad's a loser? I'm going to say, no, wow, that's, that's pretty impressive. Now, should they have won some others? Well, they wanted to. They'll be very, very – there's no one more disappointed than those boys. But in the same breath, that doesn't make it a failure. It makes it short of where they should have been. They led two finals for all – but I think I saw 11 minutes. Yeah. Two mm-hmm. finals out of 180. And that is so heartbreaking. And how do we then – I guess what I'm trying to say to you, Joe, how do I put that in a perspective rather than just through the lens of you're a winner, you're a loser, you're a success, you're a failure? Because I think when you want Yeah, I, I didn't, and I specifically didn't use winner, loser, success, failure. I okay. used the word underachievement. You did, in fairness to you. And, and, and okay. Matt, you in your answer used the phrase short of what they should have done. So if, sure. I, if I look up underachievement, that's probably short of what they should have done, no? Yeah, I, I, would, no, no. I would say I it's... Go on, go on. I was, I was just, sorry, Jerry. I wasn't accusing you. I was just trying to put it in perspective. No, I hear you. And look, I appreciate the nuance. It's The nuance is, is important here. It, like, there's still... I take no joy in having this conversation. None of us do. I really... It's hard not to feel sorry. I admire this after, team. Yes. And I enjoy watching them week in, yes. week out. Yes. And yet, I mean, as you said, Jay, we, we've seen this movie too often now for yeah. it to be... Oh, in each individual game... We're all very fairly making the argument bounce of a ball here, very mm. close there. Mm-hmm. And in each individual instance, I accept that. But then you have to say, well, let's look at the trend. And there was a clear trend, as I outlined to you, in those second yeah. half scores. N- n- not behind, I think once behind at halftime. Maybe not, no. Yeah, like they're just, in the second half, they're just being overpowered in games. That's why I go back to just, if you're going to get in one or two or three overseas players then try and like Leinster used to in the past that's how they made their breakthrough in 09 and why, why do you think the Irish team say against France and against South Africa well, I was remember? Just, yeah I was just about to say that like two things here one it's, it is a failure in one sense it's a failure in their own eyes they will think it's a failure more than anybody yeah. never mind what the judgmental ex-players pundits fans think they will think it's a failure and unfortunately they won their first four finals, which has never been done before. Most teams lose one or two of four finals. To lose one, it lost a couple of finals. You know, Toulon were the only other team that won three out of three. La Rochelle lost their first final. It's Finals are tough to win, but Leinster won their first four out of four. Now, unfortunately, they've lost their last three. So if it's true that winning finals have become a habit for them, unfortunately now losing finals has become a habit for them. And that's, you know, mm. it's, it's, it's unfortunate, but they've, they've got to have a look at themselves and see how can they go that one better. I'd be a little bit more worried 
for Leinster moving forward than I am for Ireland in the sense that yeah, mm. okay yes it's a template for South Africa and France and whatever but like I don't accept this that Leinster is Ireland and vice versa at all like I was no. surprised looking at the team that beat France only seven of that Leinster side that played on, at the weekend actually started mm. that day Fair enough. like there's, yeah. there's Mac Hansen there's Bundyaki there's uh, Peter Manny Ty Byrne sensational even Finlay Bealham you know um, Connor Murray there's loads of different ingredients into it plus a completely different set of coaches different culture uh, different detail way different detail in defence and attack and what's more they will go back into a camp in the summertime where they are the number one team in the world and the reigning Grand Slam holders like it's not as if the Irish system is now suddenly it's a nice theory to have particularly if you're Scottish or you're French or you're South African or whatever else but it doesn't necessarily stack up what I would be worried about is now for Leinster moving forward that they are they have to be a little bit scarred by this run of defeats would you not think so Matt there, there has to be some it's, mental mm. scars there well it's interesting I'm, yeah. I'm going to put the same point effectively to you Matt but O'Gara on BT afterwards and he sort of started the, the, the phrase by saying look it's not my place to say this really or to get into it but if I'm being honest we knew that the growing weight of not getting over the line would make it hard for Leinster in this game yeah it's cemented and it's related to your point about Ireland they're not the best team in Europe, but they're the second best team in Europe, and that's proven. So when and then when you come up against the best, which Lara Shalara have been saying that for some time, it's a burden. It's a mental burden, and I think those second halves it's are an accumulation, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I have no doubt. We said this in our preview. I have no doubt that at the Velodrome, uh, they got their mental aspect of their game wrong, yeah. and then they came out in the first twenty minutes and were just scintillating. Best, most incredible twenty minutes of a final I, I think I've ever seen. Yep, I can't remember the opening twenty minutes of a final anything like it, Super Rugby or anything else. And yet, as soon as as soon as that try was scored, just before half time, I, I could just feel the weight coming on them. And I felt I, I don't know, Joe, you were at the ground. It felt like it was coming around everyone. Like I'm, I'm sitting at home getting texts off people. Here we go. You know, there's literally. Feeling like that. Oh, people, and people, then, people at half time were saying, Matt, here we go. Yeah. And, and then were, the kicking game, those kicks didn't work because of the mental thing. We know those guys can kick. They're great kickers. Yeah. So why do, you think for, why, why do you think for Ireland they're executing to such a high degree and then for Leinster in their most important game, these kicks, you know, 50 22 in the first half, James Lowe with his eyes closed, beautiful. And then they're not handling the pressure in the same way they seem to in a green jersey. It's a. It's a concern for all, all at Leinster. There's no easy answer. Well, they're not robots, and you know you you will make mistakes in matches. And yeah, it's I, I like I said to you. I think James Lowe putting that first one out in the full. He almost called it too well. Yeah, and then the second one soon after is right. Well, I'm going to make sure this one I'm keeping, and he slices it to contribute to the second. It it can happen. You I know, know, I get it. Look, geez, it absolutely can happen. Could I ask you, Matt? Um, I was watching the game with somebody who'd be really sharp judge, really good judge. Probably wouldn't thank me for quoting them on the air, but on on Ross Burns, so the drop goal mystery remains. But in general play, uh, his sense was that Burns spent too much time in the pocket in the second half. By that I mean was behind the rook. Uh, too deep and you know get the ball and, and you're, you have to kick 15 metres just to make territory and he said really you know if you've Johnny there or someone else there you're to the left or the right of the rooks you've got a pod with you you're taking the game more to La Rochelle so I'm, I'm curious for your perspective on Burn in general play because we, uh, we said last week 
he's not Sexton and he shouldn't be accountable for the fact he's not Sexton. Sexton's a, mm. a freak of nature. But how did Byrne do to your eye? Um, I'll, I'll preface this, Joe, that I think Leinster changed their tactics for that final. And I'm glad they did because I think we said on the show, if they just played a normal game, they'll get beaten. You notice when they had that pot of three, the, the, the ball carrier hardly... I, don't, I can't remember, Jerry might recall one. I don't recall that ball carrier passing the ball, apart from one or two out the back. They went wide once or twice. They, they were, because they knew at the breakdown they, they, they'll get, they could get beaten. They kept it a lot tighter than they had, and therefore Byrne has to stay a little bit deeper. If Byrne goes to the line, they open themselves up for that. I also think because of where they played the majority of the second half, he couldn't. Mm. They were playing that game so far in their own territory that he was constantly looking to get them out of that territory, and they just couldn't get out of that zone where any error is three points. And so he was constantly looking to move the ball, and they just couldn't do it. Again, um, if you're blaming your 9 and 10, you've got to say it's the 1 to 8 who deserve the kick in the bum, okay. not the 9 and 10. And Leinster forwards in the first half were just superb, just absolutely brilliant in every aspect of the game. But I, I thought they got beaten out the gate in the second half, and that affects your nine and ten hugely, hugely. Um, and, and I thought that affected Ross. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. But, Let's um, before the clock comes against us, Jerry, talk about the other side of this Irish story. The boy from Cork. Oh. Um, it's kind of insane, like what, what's happening here. I, there aren't too many comparable examples, not just in rugby, but in sport of a great player becoming a great coach before our eyes. And the route he's taken since retirement has been yeah. so interesting and so uh, varied. His behaviour on the day, right from, I think, when Orgy opened up the coverage, who's there is like part of the panel. It's O'Gara and like telling jokes and doing impersonations of taxi drivers in the US after the 07 World Cup and Roger's down in the dumps and the taxi driver doesn't realise who you are and he impersonates the taxi driver so he, he's talking about how like he's got a more carefree attitude to games and enjoys the build up and then he's off here there everywhere he's, we'll come to the controversy he talked about as well in, in due course but um, like this is soft charts stuff here what, what's he <laughs> what's he managing to do at La Rochelle the dynasty yeah it's incredible. And he's doing it in a second language. And he's doing it authentically. In a league where overseas coaches don't tend to have a very good successful rate. It can be very tricky. It's a bit of a it's a bit of a circus, frankly. Even Michael Chekup got bombed out at Stade Francais within two seasons. A, a plot behind his back involving assistant coaches and players. That's what it's like. Coaches tend not to come from abroad and really I mean, Jeremy Davison's done a great job. He doesn't get anything like the same attention and he's, up, he's punching way above his weight with Aurelac and Breve and now Castro, whom he's kept up. But to go to a club like La Rochelle and make them the modern-day dominant force in European rugby at a club that was in Pro D2 nine seasons ago, at a club that has never won a trophy before the last two seasons, at a club that probably only took a passing interest in the Heineken Cup or Champions Cup until he came along, is quite extraordinary. Um, he's plotted his career brilliantly. He's learned at the feet of um, Scotty Johnson and Crusaders. He's learned at the feet of others in Racine. He's, but also all along the way, he's learned as a player, obviously, but he's brought his own intelligence to bear. He's an incredibly intelligent man, as we know. And he's, um, <clears throat> he's very good at building relationships 
and you can see a real kind of almost bordering on love like a relationship with all his players I mean okay it's easier to look as if you've had a great relationship when you've just celebrated winning a trophy but you could see it in the affection they have for him and he has for them and um, I think they reflect his uber self-confidence and strong mentality and feistiness and chip on the shoulder monsterish they've inherited all of this from him yeah it's made them into quite an extraordinarily clearly unified squad and team that doesn't panic when they're 17-0 down that doesn't panic when they're 23-7 down that just has this we we did talk about last week this was the one team that would come over to Dublin thanks in large part to their coach that would have no fear of Leinster that would have the belief they could beat them and then that that belief never wavered even when hit by an express train early on in the game so what he's achieved is extraordinary and the scary thing for Leinster particularly in the Irish provinces and everybody else in France and in the URC and so forth is that I, he doesn't look like he's finished anytime soon the way he was talking about building a dynasty afterwards and yeah. you wouldn't put it beyond him and the other thing as well of course is he's got him good people around him like Donica Ryan and Sean Dougal both ex-Monster teammates as well and he's brought in really good signings look what he's done with Alton Delan. he can clearly motivate players he can give them a great system of playing yeah. he designed a defence which is an attack the ball defence so he's he's a very all-encompassing and head coach and a an extraordinarily sex- successful one very quickly. This is his first two seasons effectively as head coach. Yeah. And he's won the European Cup twice. So many um, finished. <laughs> interesting interviews after the game as yeah. well. I mean, he spoke to Ashley uh hear it off the ball, but it, like across the board, they're all... Um, he's compelling. So interesting. So like, you know, he's taken this thing from the Crusaders where they theme the year. And this year, the theme was if you're going to climb Everest again, who do you want to bring with you? And... Uh, there are pictures on the floor of their dressing room as, as part of the build-up on Saturday of, of the people in their lives. And I think in O'Gara's case, he had his, his children and he had his mum, who it turns out last year had a fall and was having a surgery uh, around the time of Marseille. Mm-hmm. And it was amazing, you know, he, 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 he beckoned her down. I was sitting right above that small group of La Rochelle fans, family and friends in the main, and he beckoned his mum down at full time. And there was a steward who had been... Uh, a bit of a job's worth. I mean, doing doing uh, his her job, sure, but uh, not letting many of the La Rochelle group onto the pitch. And it's fair to say that that's your lost the row with Raj over whether his mum was getting on the pitch or not. And uh, she was on, and that just seemed like an amazing moment. Mm. But the other thing, um, Matt, to mention, I was uh, again just looking down on what was in effect wives, girlfriends, children, um, and like they're weeping. I mean, it, it was like the second coming. It was like the resurrection. Um, and, and the closeness in that group was like, I, I've never seen it in a stadium. And, and it probably exacerbated by the fact that they were surrounded by blue. But you know yourself, we all go home and talk to our partners about work. So if those players are going home to their partners and saying, well, I don't feel great about this place or the culture is only so-so or I'm not appreciated, I just don't think they're all as invested. So they're obviously all hearing this is really special and this is something great. And, and like, there's a familiarity with them all. They all know each other very well. This isn't, they haven't just pitched up for this game. And like at one stage, not to betray his privacy, I, I'm, I'm sure it's pretty caught on camera, like Roger's son in the final few minutes is like living it. He's, he's weeping as well. He's crying like he's overcome. And, and Ronan's wife is there. And like, it was the most visceral thing I've ever seen in a stadium. These like 500 people together and all the kids and all the the partners have like 
their partner or their dad's name on the back of their jersey. And so, mm. like, one stage with the steward one end and Roger's lifting over, like, a raft of little bodyas over the fence and chucking them onto the pitch and saying, go find your dad wherever he is. Like, the whole thing was very emotional. You know, it was really powerful. And I, I just thought, whatever way he's doing it, Matt, every coach would look at the scene and think, wow, how do I replicate that in my club? Right, Roger's done that. Extraordinary extraordinary uh, job at that club and Jerry you're right he's not finished uh, I remember saying to him you know there was all these other jobs and I said mate stay and make a dynasty and you, you're set don't rush it and I'm not suggesting <laughs> why I have anything to do with that I'm just you know that's what he's doing he's making that a dynasty Joe you said before losing that's what winning does they they got remember Larishel lost their first final to, um, to, to, to lose and then you know the same thing in the final of the top 14. You learn through that. Now they've, they've won a final, lost the top 14, won another final. They're looking ahead. They're not They're not looking back. But the, the last thing, Joe, sport is emotion. Like, there's no way of, you know, I, 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 it, it is such an emotion. And the Heineken Cup, the people that love it, that are brought up with it, like Ronan has, and like that Leicester has, and Munster and all that. It's so, so special. And he has he has brought that to La Rochelle. The shots during the game of the docks at La Rochelle, the keys at La Rochelle, where there's 30,000, 40,000 people around on the, and watching the game on the big screen, was mind-boggling. Now, La Rochelle, you could have fired a gun down there 10 years ago, things like that. Just, he has brought the whole community with him. Now, that that is a whole lot of pluses. A whole lot of pluses in that along the way. A lot of smart steps. That's not just one step. That's 60, 70 steps about building culture, getting your tactics right, recruiting the right sort of players, getting the right staff in, keeping your relationship with the president really strong. You know, there's a whole lot of things into that. And the last part was, I, I actually said a couple of times last week to various people, champions get up when they can't. And I was talking about Leinster. Yeah. I thought I was talking about but I was wrong. Champ, but not champions can get up when they can't. But that was Lara Shell. They were beaten. They were gone. That was over. That was and a, somehow they got up. That th- that for somebody to manage all of that, both the yeah. squad, the backroom staff, the president, the fans, the tight knit bond of a travelling party of about three hundred people, including family and friends, for him to be the central, for anybody be, to be the central figure of an all winning conquering set up organisation like that has to have a very big personality and he's clearly got a huge uh, personality and I'd say also he has to be very honest in his dealings with people has to be I did see by the way in the La Rochelle section won't name him just yet I might, maybe might, might interview him in the show sometime uh, former Munster teammate of Rogers very much pitched in the, uh, La- <laughs> the La Rochelle <laughs> he looked up sheepishly at one stage <laughs> um, uh, yeah Joe always was receiving photos on uh on social media of Munster people in Dublin walking around with La Rochelle jerseys on. Well-known <laughs> Munster people. Or red <laughs> or, or red jerseys with La Rochelle flags as well or yeah, yeah whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. Hey, listen. Um, before we go, and we got to go, uh, clock is against us. A few things to clear up. Uh-huh. Did James Ryan too, make too much or too little eye contact with Gregory Aldrich? Because initially it was not, yeah. no eye contact. And then there's a photo of him staring at him. Exactly. And then I think the interpreter has changed it to it was a bit OTT. Yeah. And also there's talk that he was late, but I think he was on time and Aldrich was early for the coin toss. Either way, 
it seems La Rochelle took whatever happened at the coin toss and said, well, that's another. Yes. On top of the fact we're not being accommodated at the stadium. And so we, they're treating us like a small club. All, all, all stoked by the Messiah in the background as well, of course. All Absolutely. part of his narrative. Like he, he, they don't respect us, they don't respect us. I'd say that was a mantra all week long and he fed it. And yes, it was, it was so confusing afterwards because we had the translator with the earphones interpreting Aldridge's words as if to say he... Um, he didn't look at me. That, I, I actually get quite confused. There's so many different interpretations. He either stare, tried to stare him out of it or he didn't look at me. But we went by the journalist, by the literal translation from Rugby Ma- Rama, the website, the Midi Olympic website, which yeah. said he didn't look at me. And the pictures showed that he clearly looked at him. Yeah. It's just, it's a perfect... The one thing I would safely say is that if I could say that Rod got one thing slightly wrong was he overplayed that. He gilded the lily a little bit on that one. If I know anything about Leinster is that they totally respect La Rochelle oh, yes. and read, totally respect everybody. Lancaster's comments last week. Like they were, if anything, they were touch fearful of La yeah, Rochelle. Exactly. It wasn't. It, the half-time, no, the half-time fracas. Yep. I'm loving. I I'm, I can't get enough of this. Okay, so <laughs> I can. Go on. <laughs> so to what extent? Because the the, for instance, I listened to Rory O'Connor and Set Captains, who and it was his, his understanding that uh, O'Gara went in wanted to go to Jakob Piper at half time, and something similar may have happened in Marseille the year before, and so Sean O'Brien and Johnny Sexton were there. I'm going to use it. This is my word now, as effectively as bouncers. Yes. Um, and then okay. Will Skelton saw Kerfuffle and he got involved. Mm-hmm. So EPCR are going to um, have a look at the incident. I mean, it's all in some ways completely harmless. On the other hand, it's uh, great stuff and vital to me to understand everything that happened, Jerry. So, well, I wasn't there, yeah. Joe, uh, nor was my colleagues, nor were nor were anybody from the EPCR. So it's all various different accounts from people who might have been there or might not have been there. And okay. my understanding is that. Rona Gar got to Wayne Barnes at half time in Marseille in the Stade Velodrome a year ago. Leinster what, what, what do you mean got to him? Spoke to him. Wasn't okay. happy with some of the first half decisions. Um, so did, like, did he kick down Barnes's door? I wouldn't have thought he'd got, been able to do that and get away with it. Don't forget, Rog does get quite emotional. You see it in the coach's box. Yeah, He does get very wound up. Cheka esque I would call it. Yeah. And he has had a few touchline bans. And he had this great running feud with Christoph Urios um, at one point. Yeah, where yeah. He, he was, if you were a lip reader, you could see Rog said to him, why don't you off your fat liner which definitely would have got lost in translation so anyway they were wise to <laughs> so they were wise I didn't think we'd get any laughs out of this show but there you go um, we were wise the Leinster were wise to this oh dear um, Leinster... I do like that he's still using Langer <laughs> yeah so do I that's, that's the best part that's the best part of that not the, not the four letter word yeah. it's your fat liner it's just brilliant but um yeah, and he's had a few touchline bands. He's been up in the st- he's been up in the stands for a good few games now, so he'd want to be careful because when he gets when he gets yeah anyway. So Wayne he, Barnes last year. Yeah, so Leinster were mindful that Rog might be of a mind to do this again, and Sean O'Brien was stationed <laughs> en route to the referee's room. Right, um, that much I know. Okay. Okay, and that much I know from various accounts of the incident I've heard. That's definitely the case. Um, Sean O'Brien, an easy choice as. Enforcer. Yes, you could see he was in the box. He's not normally in the coach's box for matches, but he was there at the final as okay. well. So he's he's a good choice as enforcer. And uh, O'Gara did attempt to approach Piper. There are different accounts then as to whether Piper politely said, I don't think that's appropriate, Ronan, or was not even allowed to get to speak to him. Such a good job did Shawnee do. And then a lot of other people got involved in it, including very at the very tail end of it, Mr. Johnny Sexton as well. Um, there was definitely expletive used yeah. in these exchanges, I've heard. 
and I think that's probably quite likely. And the whole incident lasted a maximum of 30 seconds. Much ado about very little, uh, overshadowing a wonderful game, and I doubt anything will come of it. 30 seconds. And to think like there's going to be a book written about that 30 <laughs> seconds. Yeah. Oh dear. Matt, connected to my veins. It's just classic Rog, isn't it? It's just, I could just see him do it. I know, listen, look at you. It's a, coaches do it all the time. You, you know, coming off at half time, if you think you've got the raw end of the, the stick. How many times, have, how many times have, have there been expletives shared in, <laughs> between rival teams and outside dressing rooms, Matt? Is this the first in the history of rugby, is it? <laughs> No, yeah, I was absolutely shocked. You know, I was appalled. I was just laughing, you know. And knowing the characters involved, Shawnee and Roger, I mean, wow, there's two that go. And, and doing what they're doing. And then Will, Will Skelton's got a yeah. great sense of humor. He's a big giant. They're always smiling. And, and Johnny's Johnny stuff. I mean, what would have paid money to be there? I know. But I agree with you. It's absolutely nothing. It's it's not, And they'd be laughing about it now like we are. Yes, it's no, nothing. And, and you know what? That's why we used to shake hands and have a beer after the game. So how stupid and childish was all that? Let's forget it and keep going. And so everyone should. Yeah. Oh, to, to have been there when he got oh. there to Sean O'Brien. What are you doing here? What are you doing here? <laughs> Great stuff. I wouldn't um, say it was that polite. No, no, no. I, I, yeah. I they would, yeah. would have descended from that point. Um, I think Sean, he was doing the policeman. Keep going to the change room, Rog. Keep going. No, I can't get through here. And yeah. the other thing about it as well is I'm told that the uh, lens addressing was closer to the match officials dressing room. That's what the way it's designed in the Aviva. So Rog would have had to come the bigger distance to get to the um, okay. attempt to get to the referees. Okay. okay. Uh, we are so out of time, but that, I mean, we there's still, you could keep talking about this game for another hour. It was such an epic. Jerry Thornley of the Irish Times, thank you so much. Pleasure. Uh, Matt well, Williams. Kind of. Yeah, Matt Williams. Pleasure, Matty. Thank you. Cheers, Matt. Pleasure, Jared. Pleasure, Jerry. Cheers. Cheers. That was our, our Monday night rugby coverage on Off the Ball this evening with thanks to Vodafone main sponsor of the Irish rugby team we all belong to the team of us Monday Night Rugby on Off the Ball with Vodafone main sponsor of the Irish rugby team we all belong to the team of us